Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Tom Withers and this week at law school I finally finished and turned in my appellate brief. Also on the show this week, I interviewed the extremely interesting Jared Erickson and talk about some foundational principles of constitutional law, which is something that I think every person should be at least a little bit interested in. Um, if this sounds like something that you are interested in, then stay tuned for this week at law school. Right. So as I said at the beginning of the show, um, I finally finished my appellate brief. <laughs> uh, this is the final paper for my advocacy class, and it was a doozy. It's easily I mean, easily the most comprehensive academic paper I have written so far in my career. I am super proud of it. Anyways, um, I'm coming to you again this week um, from sunny Utah inside my car in the law school parking lot at around lunchtime again. I actually have a lunch meeting here in 37 minutes. So, yeah, that's about the pace that I'm going to be shooting for on this one, plus the interview. So we're good. We got time. I've always got time here. I will make time for you guys. But, yeah, nobody ever told me. I don't know why it was a secret that Utah is freaking stunning and that it's warm here and that the mountains are beautiful. Um, so I'm happy to be here on this sunny day. Um, I apologize if there's a little bit of ambient noise in here. I have the air conditioning on, or I should say that I have the fans on. The air conditioning is not on. But um, yeah. Anyways, let me get back into what I was saying here. Appellate brief. Basically... For those of you who don't know, an appellate brief is written by lawyers for their clients when a case goes up to a higher court for review after being decided by the trial court. Usually one side, usually the appellant, is trying to get the higher court to overrule the lower court for some kind of mistake of law that they made. Um, the other side, which is the appellee, is writing to the higher court a lot of times to say that the lower court nailed it and that there's nothing further to see here, that we should just all move on with our lives. However, sometimes they're a little bit more complicated and both sides will make claims that the lower court got some aspect wrong. Usually, if you're the appellee, you're trying to strengthen your case, the case for your client. Even though you won at the trial court, you maybe the trial court said a couple of things that you didn't like. Um, that you're a little bit worried about. So you, you maybe will try and attack those points during the appeal. Um, and the brief that I wrote was one of these complicated types where there, there are multiple issues on appeal and both sides kind of take stands on, on different issues. But that's basically the gist of it. It's written. I mean, it is a, it is a written argument that's full of cases that support your side's claim that the judges will read before oral arguments, which are just when you stand up in front of them and ask some, or they blast you with questions while you try and deliver a speech. It's awesome. It's really exciting. I'm going to be doing it. Uh, I have my first practice one tomorrow, actually, which is really awesome. And then here, I think it's oh, at about 10 days, I'll be doing my oral argument final, which is gonna be, you know, three judge panel, made up of some professors and a TA and 
I'll be there in my suit up against opposing counsel whose brief I have read and whose brief is awesome. And so I'm a little uncomfortable about that, but you know, whatever, I'll give it my best shot. Also, real quick shout out to Derek Palmer, who is a listener of the show and also was willing to read my brief cover to cover as my one allowed non-legally trained reviewer. Uh, He really, really saved my bacon, found some dumb mistakes in there. I mean, I I was all over the place, man. I ended a sentence with a preposition. I, I used whom incorrectly. It was it was a disaster. So, you know, uh, thank you, Derek. Thanks a ton. Um, it's nice to know that after all of these years, I can still ask a huge favor at the last minute and you'll be all over it. And, you know, I would do the same for you, of course. And you know it. But, yeah, it does mean a lot. So anyways. Huge relief to have that beast done and dealt with. And I can basically cross that class off the list. Well, I, like I said, I have the oral arguments in a couple, you know, in 10 days or so. Um, but honestly, I'm actually mostly just excited about that. Uh, and I, maybe I should be more scared than I am. Maybe my lack of nervousness is is a sign that I'm, you know, far gone. <laughs> but... But, you know, I'm, I'm just going to get up there. I'm going to pound the podium. I'm going to yell about the First Amendment. And then I'm going to get, like, smoked by some penetrating question that I have no idea how to answer. Except for maybe with, like, more pounding and buzzwords like liberty, equality, freedom, justice. I mean, it's going to be great. I'm excited. I am really excited. But, you know, if you can't tell... I'm pretty stoked for this episode. I want to say a super sincere thank you to everyone who has reached out to me with kind words of encouragement and everything like that about getting the show back up and running again. I'm sorry about the lapse, like I said, but as promised, I am going to be picking up the pace and I'm trying to catch up. So um, moving on, I am very excited about this week's interview. Jared Erickson is one of the first people I met at the law school way back on Admitted Students Day. He's got some really interesting and wise perspectives, and he is inspiring in a whole bunch of different and cool ways. And I'm very excited for you to hear what he has to say. Here is Jared. All right, I'm here with Jared Erickson. Um, Jared did, or Jared's dad did construction, so he moved a lot growing up. He was born in Maryland. He moved to Missouri, then Pennsylvania, then Connecticut, and then Maryland again before coming to BYU in Provo. Uh, he served a mission in South Korea, then came back and majored in Korean language. He got started volunteering for the local police department and decided to do that after he graduated. Uh, then he worked as a police officer from graduation until starting law school and you still do that part-time uh the police thing and then while with provo uh you were on the mountain search and rescue team where you did high and low angle rescues and body recoveries in mountain regions you got to ride in helicopters and get hoisted in and out of rugged terrain and got paid to go to southern utah and get trained in canyoneering and now you are in law school thank you very much for coming on the show jared that is some really cool stuff thank you it was a lot of fun awesome so let's just start with uh, the mountain search and rescue thing like i i tried when i saw that first i tried to google high and low angle rescues and i didn't get very far into the youtube videos of it so i figured i'll just wait for the expert to to tell me about that so what what was that like so uh, the utah county has a very 
challenging, rugged environment. And so because of that, there's a lot of people that like to go out into the mountains and have fun. And when people go places, they tend to get hurt. So that is why the police department had a mountain search and rescue team. It was actually a joint team. Half of it was firefighters and half of it was cops, which was a lot of fun because you generally have very different styles and personalities that mix there, but we mix well. And so we had to train to do everything that people did recreationally. So we would do just your basic rock climbing and hiking with a pack up into the mountains mm-hmm. all of, starting with that all the way to doing uh, caving the different caves and mines that we have here mm-hmm. uh, water rescues because we have the river and the lake right um, and pretty much it was a lot of fun we got all kinds of boys <laughs> and dirt bikes and side by sides and got to just tear all over the countryside oh man trying to find ways that other people would get hurt so we could get them out <laughs> And the high and low angle refers to just the type of terrain that a person is on. So high angle, if we have to rescue somebody who's in like a rock climbing accident or they get cliffed out somewhere, Mm. then we would have to essentially go vertical to get them. Wow. So straight up the side of the rock or somehow get above them and go straight down to them. So that's your high angle rescue. Wow. And so that involves kinds of finding anchors and finding ways to get down to them and then or up to them. Um, I was fun to get to do some lead climbing to get up or just some kind of intense rappelling to get down. And you have to get them into a safe position or harness or of some kind and then send them back down on their merry way to the bottom and then wish them well and tell them not to do it again. <laughs> Oh man. And so I assume the low angle then is just the opposite where it's like not as steep. Yeah. So rescues that don't necessarily require the, the victim to be, uh, stabilized from above. Okay. Like if, you know, you break your leg or something and you're hiking and then when we are taking you out, we're just carrying you out on the flat ground, then we don't have to tether them to. So that's why just basically the type of terrain that you were on, when you are trying to evacuate them. Okay. So in a low angle, you're just carrying them out. And in a high angle, like it's all ropes and pulleys and, oh man. Okay. And before we started recording, you told me something about the helicopters there. And I want you just to really quickly repeat that because I just think that's so cool. Um, So we have the privilege of, or we had the privilege of working with the different helicopter teams that are around the area. So you had life flight sometimes and then, the Department of Public Safety has a few different helicopters that they use, and they were pretty much at our disposal to call in when we needed help. To And some of the times, especially with uh, if you had people that committed suicide, they would climb up to the, the highest point they could find and jump, and it was kind of impossible to get to where they landed to recover their body. And mm-hmm. so you would use helicopters to get you in and out of challenging places. Or there's another time where we had a climber who was trying to rappel down and got stuck because he'd gone off the wrong way and so now he was just halfway down the rope dangling in the breeze with no way of getting back up and so because we were on a time crunch with you know concerns about the integrity of the rope that they had and then also worrying that they're you know they're going to go numb eventually with all your weight sitting in the harness and so we got helicoptered up above them and it was a pretty crazy that I mean, the helicopter pretty much couldn't land because there's no place to land above them. So you just jump out the window and, <laughs> and 
get make your way to a good spot and then set <laughs> but one of the most fun things i got to do was so some of the helicopters have a hoisting arm that mm-hmm. can slide out the the door and so what that would mean is yeah say you know they just they're hovering above you it's impossible for them to land so they're 100 200 feet above you and then the the line drops down to you and you just hook it into your harness and then the helicopter takes off and pulls you up oh my god on the hoist line as it's flying away and so you're a few hundred feet off the ground just dangling and it's it was pretty exhilarating it was a very fun job okay so First of all, that's horrifying. Like me thinking of doing that, that sounds like the scariest thing. I'm really, really afraid of heights. Um, it also does. Definitely not. Yeah. For yeah. yeah. So I couldn't do any part of that job. Um, but I guess my next question then, and this is the standard question that I ask people. And for you, it's particularly interesting because you seem to have had like a really, really cool job that you really liked. So why law school? Why? I mean, it's got to be like a huge change in your lifestyle because you go from like getting hoisted, you know, hundreds of feet into the air by a helicopter, you know, just by your harness to literally just reading dusty old books all day long. Um, so what, what's, what kind of propelled you to make that change? Well, that actually started, that decision started back when I first became a police officer. So I finished undergrad with no desire whatsoever to do anything related to school ever again. I was done reading books and doing homework. I was going to go out in the world and have fun. And policing seemed like a perfect fit. I knew some police officers. I'd been volunteering with the department and it was just a the, the perfect transition over. And so I went to the police academy expecting to learn how to drive fast and shoot straight and all the fun physical skills that Racing entails, but they actually started with a lengthy, uh, how many weeks was it? Two month-ish course. It was all legal. And so we had Hmm. attorneys from different areas would come in and would teach us. And so it was all day in a classroom being taught about the law. And we would go through statutes and how they are applied and then applying it to scenarios and what is the legal choice you make. Because while there's a lot of physical aspects to being a police officer, most of it is mental and knowledge of the law and how to apply it. So most people think that that first part is really boring and they just can't wait to get out of it because they want to go do all the fun stuff. But for me, it was the first time that I really thought school was fun. Huh. I was really interested in learning about the law and how to apply it. It was this insane list of rules that were always different and always changing. And it was a it's a very mentally stimulating thing because it's not repetitive in any way. Right. Every single call you go on, every case has some nuance, some difference. So my enthusiasm for learning about the law got started there, being taught via the Socratic method by attorneys who wish they were law professors. <laughs> That's what I can describe. It was kind of funny at times. That's awesome. And then I became a police officer and I was really interested in knowing the why. I wasn't satisfied with being like, so this is what we do in this situation. I'm like, well, why? Where does that come from? <laughs> and so I, on my own, started reading Supreme Court cases about, you know, okay, well, I know like Miranda's super old, like Miranda v. Arizona. And there's right. been other changes since then. So what's, what's different? What do we do now? And like, why do we just kind of arbitrarily follow this random ruling on a random case? And so I just, on my own, I was 
reading about case law and reading about history and trying to figure out how to apply them. So I was that weird nerd. (laughs) uh, By the end, it was interesting in that I would often get asked questions from fellow officers about what to do in this situation or what does the case law say here? What should we do? Mm -hmm. Just because I really liked learning about it. I liked going and digging in. Okay, what does that statute actually say? Because a lot of them, I mean, you say all the time, you deal with them all the time, assault, criminal mischief, disorderly conduct. Right. But I wanted to know, like, what is what does that actually mean? What does it entail? So I was the weird one that really liked learning about the law and I liked going to court. Most cops hate going to court. I thought it was fun <laughs> and working with prosecutors. There were some that I thought, I bet you I can do that. I mean, if you're doing it, I bet I could do it. And there were other ones that I thought, holy cow, you make what we do go so much further. Mm. The ones that just went the, you know above and beyond and did the extra mile on a case and those prosecutors there's attorneys in general they just really impressed me and because a lot of times as a police officer it's frustrating you do all this work you find the bad guy you you lock him up and then they're right back out there and you're like how wait what happened where was and a lot of it comes down to i mean all the prosecutors are extremely overworked but the ones that really did it well I mean, they, they were worth their weight in gold. And I thought, I mean, I get, some people don't like that I say this, but I felt like we had plenty of good cops mm. that were doing their best. I know not, I'm not going to claim that all police officers are perfect. It's far from it. But I knew, it seemed like we had plenty of very dedicated and intelligent police officers that were doing the best they could to do their job. But we had a shortage of attorneys who were willing to take that next step. And so I decided that that there was there was more that I could do, uh-huh. and I felt like there was more that I should do. And so now I'm here, and I get to do. It's kind of like an extended version of the on the ass that I had in the academy, but in a lot of ways, it's incredibly similar. You go over statutes and laws and cases, and all right, well, what did they do here? Well, why would we? Is that an assault or is that an aggravated assault? How would we apply this? And then mm-hmm. torts is the same. You just on the civil side, is right. this battery? Is this assault? And is this how do these how we apply in these situations? What is negligence? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's the other thing that's been surprising is how often it's come up in property and contract law because people call right. the police anytime something goes wrong. So, Trespassing is come becomes an issue, right? Yeah, like, well, even just landlord-tenant law. I mean, you're always getting involved in people's disputes because somebody calls and you're like, well, it's not actually a criminal law thing, but you deal with it so often that you unintentionally actually become fairly knowledgeable about huh. the civil rules regarding <laughs> property. And so it has, that was the big surprise is the times I'd be sitting in property. But I didn't know what the word was for that, but I absolutely understand this, yeah. this concept. And because we dealt with people, you know, with easements and you know, how they applied and one's claiming they're trespassing, another claiming they have a right to be there. And turns out it's an easement issue. And so, mm-hmm. well, I got to learn about easements, I guess, to, right. in order to figure out if it's a criminal thing. And so I feel like it's been a very natural fit. I know it's a little bit different, but there's actually quite a few um, just lawyers who start in law enforcement and right. find that they like 
to learn about the law. And there's a few in our class, right? Yeah. There's, so there's two in our class. And then just as I've met people, pretty much every attorney I talk to knows at least somebody from their class or some attorney they work with mm-hmm. in the former place. And yeah. it's, it's been, it's been a very different yeah. type of role than I, I used to have, but in a lot of ways it's really the same. That's awesome. So it does sound like you just kind of, um, through the natural process of your career choice, we're just kind of seduced by the law almost into like, and I found, and I was just talking to a couple of people about this yesterday that law school, and I'm a little worried about this, to be honest, that law school maybe is making me weird. But then I was, so I said that to someone, I'm like, I really, really enjoy talking about statutes. And like, I love reading them. I love reading case law. And like, I'll read like a, like a piece of case law or like, especially like Justice Scalia's opinions or something like that. I'm like, oh snap, he didn't say that, did he? And then like, but it's, then I'll like show someone who's not in law school and they're like, that's not funny. Or, you know, and so anyways, I was saying to a couple of our classmates, I'm, like, I'm a little worried it's making me weird. And then they were like, no, no, you were weird before you came. That's why you like this stuff. And I think, I think it is like, uh, like you were saying there, a couple of things you said that really resonated with me that like, you just, the law is like the rules of real life. It's like, you know, a lot of times you say, this is just the way that it is. And this is how we do this. And then the law is the why, or like the, the formal structure behind it. And it, for me, it has been so fascinating to dig into that. And like, and so yeah, now it's a habit of mine that every time I run into anything in the real world, I'm like, I wonder, I wonder what the law says about that. And then, you know, get out onto Westlaw and just troll around a little bit. Um, so that's awesome. And it sounds like you had a really, really cool transition there. And I thought it would be like a really stark difference, but it sounds like it was really smooth for you. You'd be surprised how well a lot of cops know the law. Yeah. And you, well, it makes sense. Kind of like I just, yeah. Like, you know, the dumb cop who has no idea. And they're, you watch YouTube, there are absolutely dumb cops that have no idea. And you're like, ah, oh, this is embarrassing. But I watch yeah. other ones and it's like, that is exactly right. That is exactly how the Fourth Amendment applies. And that is, that mean, the, yeah. Okay. And those are the ones, the ones that get it and get, um, you know, the understanding of the rules and the game and how everything works. Those are the ones that are usually the most successful. Yeah. It's not the, usually the, the badge heavy, you know, my respect my authority. <laughs> you know, they are not the ones that do well and not the ones that last. But right. fortunately, that's kind of the public perception because that's the ones that make the news. Right. Yeah. I just posted this morning about how, you know, the good police work doesn't make it onto the news. And that's a shame because so like the vast majority of police work is done well and done by good people. And uh, I, I think it's yeah, I really appreciate you sharing that. That I think the public's perception on policing is not fair. But then again, you know, we're going to be lawyers and the public's perception about lawyers isn't exactly, you know, stellar either. That's true. We're good people, dang it. And I, we, I was told that I went from the second most hated <laughs> to the most hated. I'm like, wow, that's, that's an interesting way of putting it. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, so if it feels like a pretty good fit for you, what do you like most about it? Like, or I guess maybe we should just say, like, what's been your favorite classes? my favorite classes I I have I feel like I've kind of been in the unfortunate position of thinking every class is kind of fun 
Mm. It's it's more. I, I get asked, what type of law do I want to go into? Right. And uh, it's hard to answer because it's like I I like the process of finding out answers about the law and then applying them. And I don't really care yet if it's a contract issue or a tort issue or a property or a criminal issue. That process is what draws me to it. And so I. I mean, I, I like when that comes up, when you get these challenging questions and that's, you know, all right, well, it says this, well, all these words have a lot of different meanings. So all of it, you know, and so torts was a lot of fun, because especially when you get into negligence. I mean, it's everything has a thousand yeah. meanings. It's yeah, so the, hard to The eight-week block of negligence that we yeah. did. Yeah. yeah. And the same thing with, you know, with, I was surprised how much I liked contract law because when you write a contract, you actually make your own law. Yeah. And so you have have the law of contracts and then you have common law versions of contracts and then you have the law that they made when they make right and other forms of the law you don't have that ability to make your own mm-hmm. and that i was i had a lot of fun in contracts going through because every single case uh, is not actually the same law because they can contract around the law right and so everything was this fun completely new issue yeah so yeah with with very few exceptions you can really paper around yeah the law in a contract like there are a couple of things they don't want you to contract out of but like yeah that is very fascinating so you don't know yet what you want to do that's fine I, I actually don't either from, from talking to people it sounds to me like I want to do I want to be the designated litigator or trial attorney for a firm I don't necessarily think I want to specialize hardcore into one type of thing as much as be the go-to person at the firm but right. okay when it when this turns into serious litigation and then when it turns into the the real challenge they um, hand it off to you and so I know that's a little long ways off you have to prove that in a lot of ways yeah but that's like my 20 year plan <laughs> yeah well that's awesome that's awesome so I guess I'll ask maybe we we're, we're really running on right now in time but it's good um, this has all been really great but I'll ask you what do you do and I know the answer to this but I'm asking for the sake of everyone else what do you do to blow off steam while you're <laughs> while you're getting through law school um, it used to be mountain biking and then and two days before I started 1L, I crashed <laughs> and I broke my elbow and dislocated my shoulder and injured a bunch of other ways. And so mountain biking was kind of out for a while. And that so was I, so sad that you like came to yeah, you came was, to school in a I cast. showed up in yeah with a sling and couldn't really do much. That was a challenging first few weeks. Yeah, it was your right arm too, wasn't it? Yeah, so, so yeah, I, every typing, writing, <laughs> everything <laughs> infinitely harder. <laughs> Ingress got harder. Um, uh, but so I, what I do a lot, especially as it gets colder, I, I like I like lifting. I started getting into doing like strongman style competitions. I did one in November and then another one in December. And then uh, looking at trying to do another one in March. And it's just, it's good to have something else to have goals around. And yeah. Remember that there is life and people and exciting things outside. It's kind of fun because I show up and they don't know I'm a law student. They don't know I was a cop and I'm just this normal dude. Well, I guess you're kind of weird if you do those things, but I'm just this guy who is having fun and yeah. whatever, rather, you know, whatever activities and they all I mean it's like stone lifting and log pressing and spraying right. and deadlifting. It's, so it's just, you kind of all just bond together. And I've, 
I really like that. That's awesome. That's really great. And yeah, that's something that I think everybody needs is something that's outside because uh, completely outside. Yeah. It's got to be like completely separate. And I really, really like our classmates. Like, don't get me wrong, but I, I noticed at the end of last semester, I'm like, I don't remember the last time I talked to somebody who wasn't my wife, my kids, or a law student. Like I, like I couldn't remember the last time I had talked to like a, a real person in the real world. Um, and so, and that, that can wear on you after a little while. And so it's really awesome that you found that outlet and you get to keep that separate. And so for anyone who's like considering law school, that's something I think that everyone should keep in mind when, you know, you come here that it can consume your whole life. If you let it, like it it will take over everything. You will never be done studying. There's always more you could do. You just have to stop yourself and then get out and, and try and do something else. So, and I have the advantage of, and that's a a huge problem in policing is that people get super focused in and the used to turn into all the things that you used to do and people you used to see. And then Mm -hmm. you get so, cause there's always more bad guys. There's always more things you can do. Right. And so, I, I tried to keep applying the same ideas and skills in order to overcome that emotional drain because in a lot of ways it's really similar. I know a lot of law students that just get so tunneled in and so nervous and so worried. Reality is law school is just a step. Yeah. It's a step to becoming an attorney and there's a lot of important things that you can eat, but you have to take care of yourself mm-hmm. and take care of your family and I mean, reality is that your your grades are all on a curve and somewhat arbitrary. I mean, you can be the top of the class, but if your class is really dumb, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be successful. And same with yeah. you're the bottom of the class. It's, you know, you haven't taken class and you're the very bottom, but everybody's a genius. All of you can be functioning attorneys and your grades can be right. massively different. So that's what's... Yeah. yeah. Somebody said yesterday... Uh, the same guy that I was talking to yesterday, he said, basically law school grades are like a random number generator. Like it, it's comes down to the professor's preferences a lot because, and like I, I talked to a couple of professors that said that the curve in our class was so tight. That it was like the difference between the 11th ranked student and the 87th ranked student was three points on the exam. Like that, that's a, I mean, that's a crazy tight distribution of points. And so it sounds like pretty much everyone knows the law, which is cool. But then you get this, these grades. And like you said, it's so easy to tunnel in and get hyper-focused and like let it consume your whole personality. And well, so. it's stressful because you don't know going in. I mean, in undergrad, you would go into your final exam and be like, well, according to this cool calculator, my GPA calculator, as long as I get a, you know, a 60 on the exam, I'll still get a B, you know, right. Whereas in law school, like your grade is your grade, like that is yeah, it. That's that the is whole the thing. Only thing that matters. Yeah. Or your the number that they generate at the end is yeah. your performance in that three hour session. And regardless of if it was a bad day or like yeah. yeah, yeah, it's tough. It's really tough. So I guess finishing up here, what advice do you have for somebody who maybe wants to come to law school? Uh, figure out if it's what you really want to do. There's plenty of, I mean, there's law firms everywhere. There's lawyers all over. Just about all of them are willing to let you shadow or, you know, meet with them for a day or shadow them in court or 
Right. That's the secret. Lawyers love to talk about themselves and their jobs. So actually shadow them for a day and see if it's what you actually like because you don't spend near as much time in the courtroom as TV shows. And Mm -hmm. it's it's vastly different from TV. And so if that's what you're knowing going into it is just law and order and suits, you're going to be a little bit surprised that it's different. But so I would say just there are plenty of opportunities available for you to meet with practicing lawyers in different fields and for you to talk to them and get some of their feedback and see what their interests were and see how that aligns. Because if you want to do business, you can go to business. If you want to go work for the government, you can go work. I mean, there's so many things that you can do that mm-hmm. you don't have to have a law degree to do it's pretty much just yeah. to practice law. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and if it exists, there's a law for it. Right. Yeah. You know, um, and that's so any field of interest that you have, maybe look into the law side of that and see if that's I don't know. I, I feel like if you're thinking about law school, you've already kind of taken the first step into into whether or not you would like it. But I also feel like people should definitely be prepared for like the realities because it's not it's not super fun. We've had we've had just a couple of our classmates, I think, leave. Um, well, I, I talked to plenty of attorneys that straight up told me they hated law school. They hated every day of it and they avoid thinking about it at all costs now. And it has no impact whatsoever on their day. <laughs> so like it's just a, something you survive. And there's some people that love it and there's some that don't. But it's just a step in the process. So don't freak out about it. But yeah, they, there are people that absolutely hated law school that are extremely successful practicing attorneys. Yeah. It's not the same thing. Yeah. So awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your day. I know you're really busy and you're getting ready to finish up and go on placement break. So, um, yeah, this was, this was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun to hear your perspectives and I'm sure it'll be really useful to somebody out there. So thanks for coming on. It's my pleasure. Awesome. All right. So I'm honestly not very sure where to go from there. I'm, I don't know if I'll be able to add anything to what Jared said there. Uh, like I said, he's really awesome. I really hope that you enjoyed hearing from him. I know I really enjoyed that interview and that discussion. He and I had a great talk afterwards as well about some other stuff. And so it's just he's a good guy. Um, the the law school is full of good people who are much wiser and more talented than me and who I am just I'm honored to be able to be, you know, call myself their, their colleague. So anyways, enough sucking up to my classmates. <laughs> uh, this is the part of the show where I would normally talk about, you know, an interesting case or something like that. Um, since I'm already so far into the semester though, I think it might be best if I go through my classes, maybe one at a time and talk about some foundational or interesting principle. And then I'll jump back into doing the cases as usual. Um, I I promise I'll make them interesting, but I feel like I've kind of done this disservice by not talking at all this semester about what classes I'm even taking. So, um, I guess I'll start by telling you which classes I'm taking. Um, this semester slate is really awesome and you know, I'm not sure whether I like it more than last semester, but probably, um, I'm taking criminal law, which is very interesting structures of the constitution, which is foundational and also very interesting legislation and regulation which is kind of the deep meat, uh, but also very interesting and advocacy, which is fundamental to being a lawyer and very interesting. Um, And that is it. Oh, 
No, actually, there is also civil procedure, which sucks. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, civil procedure fans, people who like the federal rules of civil procedure, people who sleep with it under their bed. Um, But yeah, I'm not a huge fan of that class, to be honest. But, you know, I'll talk more about it later. But oh, and I'm also taking a professional development class this semester, which is uh, I mean, it's, it's like a one credit class. It's mandatory. It flexes like it's as important as the other classes, but it kind of has the feel of like those corporate synergy presentations like you ever get a job at a call center and they're trying to get you psyched up about like the job that you know is actually not going to (laughs) be oh man i don't want to i don't want to speak wrong i don't want to lay a foot wrong here and have the administration come down on me um but yeah the professional development class i've learned a lot of really useful things in that class um but yeah sometimes it feels like it feels like they are making it more important than it actually is in that like if you miss an assignment they'll drop your grade to a 2.7 that type of thing you know as an effort to make you take it more seriously which you know if it's important then just make it be important like have it be important on its own merits rather than at gunpoint that's what i think anyways about you know no one cares what i think no one's asking me and maybe i shouldn't even talk about it here but whatever um No one listens to this, especially not the administration. So um, as I said, I really love the slate of classes I have this semester. It's uh, definitely more difficult than the classes last semester. Um, These are they seem much more rooted in legal theory, um, except for civil procedure, which is rooted in rules that are written in that like unnecessarily convoluted way that lawyers seem to be so fond of writing in. Um, And criminal law is like it's like the honey to balance out the medicine of civil procedure. I think it, it's very, it's a pretty straightforward kind of common law um, application kind of, kind of thing so far anyways. And all in all, it's, it's a good time. You know, I've been told that the second semester of law school is the hardest. I can definitely see why. I mean, I won't lie to you guys. I'm a little tired. Um, quick story. The other night, my girls decided to sneak some scissors into their bedroom and give each other some extremely awful haircuts. Um, Think of like the hair that you'd get if you told a blind barber to give you half bowl cut, half mullet, and you're about what my sweet daughter's hair looked like the other night. Um, So naturally, I was up late with them trying to get to the bottom of whose idea it was, what the consequences would be, why they should never, ever do anything like that again. Also trying not to laugh, also trying not to cry, you know, the full swing of mixes of emotions that come with being a parent and i ended up being up super late um after they finally went back to bed i was just kind of too amped to go back to sleep and so i ended up staying later than i should you try to be productive at nighttime but i'm just not just nowhere near as productive at that time of night anyways so and i guess fundamentally I am just not a young man anymore. You know, during my undergrad, I used to be able to pull all nighters to get things done. But now if I miss a night's sleep, I am I'm basically a carcass for the rest of the week. So, you know, maybe maybe I didn't do all of my readings as well as I should this week. And maybe I'm recording this right now to avoid sitting down and catching up with them. Maybe. (laughs) Um, But anyways, let's just jump into this. 
I have, like I said, I have a lunch meeting coming up really soon. Um, so I just wanted, I want to talk to you guys a little bit about my constitutional law class and the, I guess the foundational principle in the law, which comes down to judicial review. It's maybe not the foundational principle, but it's definitely a central principle. And if you're a law student or a political science major, please feel free to either, you know, switch this off or go to sleep. Or, you know, you can start your email criticizing my descriptions of of judicial review. But for everyone else, this is like this is basically one of the foundational principles of our government. And it's really cool how it came about. And so if you're not very familiar with it, I think you benefit from maybe hearing a little bit, even from the likes of me. So here we go. It all started with the case, Marbury v. Madison. And so those of you who are familiar with the early, you know, the early founding of the United States, um, there was a lot of debate about the role of courts and the role of the legislature and the role of the executive and how it should all play together. Um, Really, really early on, the courts were faced with kind of kind of a tough decision and it the background to this case is so interesting but also kind of convoluted but i'll basically give you the highlights um there was strong political dissent between the parties at that time which you know go figure political parties i guess have always been strongly opposed um and thomas jefferson becomes the president post john adams and john adams on like the midnight of his term ending decides to appoint a whole bunch of federal judges. Um, and so he, he signs all these commissions and sends them out basically as like a, you know, a screw you to Thomas Jefferson who is coming into the office and he's saying, you know what, I'm going to appoint all of these federal judges so that you can't, because federal judges are appointed for life. And so he wanted to get some of his cronies in there uh, to be making law at the federal level. And so he signs all these commissions and justice, then Chief Justice Marshall, sorry, before he was Chief Justice Marshall, he was um, John Adams Secretary of State, I believe. Um, I think I'm getting that right. Anyways, he gets his appointment to be the Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court. and But he was also supposed to deliver the other commissions to other people. One of the people that he was delivering them to was Marbury, a judge. Uh, or someone who wanted to be a judge, and he failed to do that. And then the next day, the new president came in with his new cabinet, Thomas Jefferson, and his secretary of state was James Madison. And so now we have the two parties, Marbury, the jilted judge, and Madison, the new secretary of state, who sees on his desk this judicial commission and decides, nah, I'm not going to deliver it. I don't want to. I'm not going to. You can't make me. And so Marbury sues in federal court, and the now Chief Justice John Marshall, who's completely responsible for Marbury not getting his commission, um, for some reason does not recuse himself. He sits and hears this case and this argument. And basically, the, the court is kind of caught in a tough spot here because either they can order Thomas Jefferson to deliver the, the commission, in which case Jefferson just says no, and then the court's legitimacy is severely hurt. Or he can say, no, you don't have to deliver those things. 
and in that case, then his party's legitimacy is pretty hurt. And so he's he's kind of caught between these two places here, and the, the court loses either way, basically. And not just not just on party grounds, but like if the court backs down to the president this early on, it feels like it feels like a big loss for the court. And it's it's unclear. Article three is the the, the part of the constitution that makes the courts and it's like the least detailed by far. It's the smallest article in the constitution and it's not really super clear what the courts are supposed to do other than just be courts and like handle maritime law and things like that. Um, and, and like travel to different places as circuit judges. But anyways, um, so chief justice Marshall is in this tough spot where he's, he's basically got to back down to the president or order the president to do something and then the president will just say nah. And either way, the court ends up looking really bad. And so Chief Justice Marshall, being a very sharp guy, one of the founding fathers that is really smart, um, he takes the third move and jukes it all. And he says, it's unconstitutional for you to even ask me to do this. There's a statute that says whether judges can do this. And he says, nah, that statute is unconstitutional. And I, like I said, I'm super simplifying here. And I actually might even be getting it wrong. But the gist of it is that instead of saying yay or nay on the issue, he says, he says that the statute in question is unconstitutional. And therefore, we are not going to even rule on this case. And that thing that he did where he said the statute was unconstitutional, that had never been done before. That's called judicial review. It's not in the Constitution. It's kind of implied by the Constitution. At least a lot of people think so. But it had never been done before. And he basically just set up a situation where instead of losing face, he made the court more powerful by saying, we can't even stoop to the level that you're asking us to stoop to because this is an unconstitutional statute and we're striking it down y'all for unconstitutionality. You know, it's struck down. We, the courts are exercising this new power that we didn't have yesterday, but we have now to strike down statutes that are unconstitutional. Boom. And everyone just said, can they do that? Can they really do that? And then they just all guys, I guess decided that, yeah, they can do that. That's fine. It works for us. And, uh, Thomas, Jefferson was not happy with that outcome, um, but everyone else was pretty stoked on it. And so um, that basically is the foundational principle of judicial review. That's why, you know, the Supreme Court hears cases primarily determining whether things are constitutional or not. They're interpreting different statutes and their constitutionality, different laws, and whether or not it, it infringes on some part of the constitution in some way. And that is justice Marshall, chief justice Marshall set up the courts to forever after to this day, be the arbiters of what is constitutional and what is not. And they almost have sole authority over this. And that's pretty cool. That's a pretty sweet move that he pulled there that we still, we still live in a world that's dramatically affected by what he did. Um, Anyways, this was a super quick rundown of judicial review. These are the kinds of things that we talk about in my constitutional law class where we discuss, you know, the balance of powers between the different branches of government. We're now talking about federal 
banks and things like that. And there's different constitutional issues. It will probably be a little while before I get back to the constitutional law. So I wanted to give you just like the the bare bones foundational, like how it relates to your life now. You live in a world of judicial review. It wasn't originally planned, but Chief Justice Marshall made it a thing in Marbury v. Madison. And now whenever something comes to the Supreme Court, they get to decide whether it's constitutional or not. Um, they are the supreme arbiters, the the last, the court of final appeal. They have the last word, the ultimate say on what is constitutional and what is not. And that comes from Chief Justice Marshall being quick on his feet, not recusing himself from a case where he was like the cause of the issue. And then just basically, you know, picking that third option that not only saved face for the court, but basically made the court, I don't know, like a thousand times more powerful. And everyone was like, what, what the, what happened? And now we live in a world where the Supreme court is truly supreme. And anyways, I think that's it. That about sums it up for this week. I'm going to wrap it up. Um, I'm about out of time anyways. I got to go to my meeting, but as always the views in this, the views represented in this podcast are mine alone and are not representative of BYU law or anybody else. Um, thank you for listening. If you have any questions or comments or concerns or any suggestions about how we can make the show better, go ahead and email me at thisweekatlawschool at gmail.com. Thank you very much. Goodbye. <laughs>